Hey, Grace, I want to welcome you to Palm Sunday. And I know it's probably one of the more unusual Palm Sundays you actually have uh, kind of been in, especially if you've been someone who's been coming to church. Uh, but you know what? God is doing amazing things, and God's still doing stuff that's really cool. And so uh, we're going to move forward, and I believe we're going to have a great Palm Sunday, and we're going to have a great Easter week. It's going to be a virtual week, and we have made that decision. And so we'll be able to do some really interesting things with you and your family at home, and that's going to be a good thing. So, hey, as you're logging into Grace Online, a couple things I want to show or help you to notice. The Connect card is probably one of the most important things you'll do. You can get to that um, in, both in the chat area but also at the top. Now, if you're watching on a mobile phone, definitely use the chat feature. It's one of the ways that you can engage with us. If you're watching, some people have been doing this on their TV and you've gone to full screen, you won't be able to see the chat feature or any of the interactive features. Now, that's okay if that's all you're wanting to do, but if you're wanting to interact with me or the staff or different people or have prayer and live prayer, then you need to make sure you're not in full screen mode so you can actually participate in all the features that the site has to offer, especially with private prayer. Pretty cool stuff. A little different based on mobile platform uh, versus other things. Also, in your notes area, uh, we'll make sure uh, that we'll be able to uh, offer to you all of the notes. And, and uh, you'll see in the message area, we've increased or augmented or made better the outline features of the different pieces you can see during the message. So pretty cool stuff. Hey, we're going to go with the notion or start with the idea that faith, when it's shared, grows. And if ever there's been a season where this has been important, we're living in it, right? Because here's the reality. Right now, people are looking for hope and they're looking to see, does your faith matter and is there hope there? So as you look at that, what you share is going to really matter. So as faith is shared, faith grows. It actually spreads out. And so this is the end of our habit series. And so if you can see the habits behind me, uh, we're working through this. We've been working through each one. We've talked about a hang time with God. We talk about accountability with other people and the relationship we have spiritually. We've talked about Bible study, and we've been doing that online as well as in different ways with our church family. We've talked about inspired service, different ways that you can serve and still share with people. And we talked about treasuring the kingdom last week and what treasuring the kingdom looks like with our time, our talents, and our treasure. And this week we're going to talk about sharing our faith. And again, when you share your faith, things grow. The other thing I want to encourage you with is during this season especially with the habit series that we've been doing, I think that we're right on target and it's not by accident that we're at this place. What do I mean? All of the habits, the majority of them in different ways, can be done personally in your life at home. Now the beauty in that is, is when you look at a lot of things that churches do, you have to be together corporately to do them. Well, the habits aren't that way. You can do each one of those from your home. <coughs> So as you do them, you're going to grow. And even in this season when we're geographically separated, we're going to continue to grow as a church family. And so that, to me, is exciting. So when we look at the church, when we look at the early church, one of the habits that we know that they had was sharing. When Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, there was a buzz. People were sharing. In fact, we know that people share what's exciting to them and what's, ex what's happening around them. And so when you look at the habit of sharing, this was definitely a part of the early church over 2,000 years ago. But it started to wane over the uh, last uh, few years. In fact, if you look at um, uh, a recent survey that George Barna did, he asked people that go to church, is sharing your faith an important personal thing that you do? 
that you do. And what he found was a 93, about 89% of people attending church said, yeah, that's a personal habit that I should have as I share my faith with other people and provide them with that hope. But he redid the survey just a year ago. And when he redid the survey, he found out that that number had dropped to 64%. So we've gotten to a place in the church as a whole where we don't think that sharing our faith is an important habit or an important part of the way that we grow and that people grow around us. Now, why is this important? Well, I want you to think about the world we live in. And for a lot of you, as you look around, you go, things have changed a lot. Morally, they're not as good. There's things that I just don't like about the world today. If you're a person that's like that, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you did something about it through sharing your faith? Because the reality is, is I believe that faith is, transform, is transformative. So I think that one of the, if this statistic is right, I think he's right, I think George Barn is right on. People are not sharing their faith in the United States. And because they're not sharing their faith, what's happening is, is it's affecting all dynamics of life. It's affecting all dynamics of life. And we need to learn how to share our faith better. And I think the Apostle Peter knew this was going to be a, a struggle with the church. Not just today, but even back in his day moving forward. He knew pretty close to after the launch of the church, they were going to have issues with sharing their faith. In fact, when he wrote the book of 1 Peter, he was writing to a group of Christians that were scattered throughout the Roman province. Um, if you're looking at um, Turkey, modern Turkey, that area, that's the area that Peter was writing to. And he was writing to a bunch of different churches. In fact, when he handed that letter to the person to deliver it, they went to each one of those churches one at a time through that area to deliver this. And you're going to see at the heart of his letter, he was concerned about them sharing their faith. In fact, the primary purpose of Peter writing that letter was to encourage Christians that were in the middle of persecution. So when they shared their faith, there was a good chance, there was a really good chance that they could actually be persecuted or actually lose their life over sharing their faith. So here is the reality. When you look at this, nothing new has changed. I know one of the things that we know is people don't share their faith because of concerns. So let's look at what Peter shared with the early church and then see how that might affect the way you and I share today. Look in your Bible. You can look at the notes over here as well. 1 Peter 3, just 14 through 16. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So when you look at this and you start to really boil down, what keeps people from sharing back then and today is one word, fear. And it's a word right now that's running rampant, not only on sharing your faith, but in our culture as a whole, right? Fear. And when you look at fear, look at verse 14. Whenever something's repeated in the Bible, it's important. It means take note of it. Look at it. There's something about it. So when you look at verse 14, it says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, do not fear. Then it says what they fear. Interesting. Then it goes from there to do not be frightened. So three times in different ways, the apostle talks about fear. What's at the heart of fear? 
Well, we know that fear is a very complex emotion. You can't boil it down to just one thing. And, and of course, in varied situations, it has various forms. But when you look at it, it's very hard. What fear is, is where you just have this emotion, this angst, where you can't move forward. You're paralyzed. You move backward instead of forward. Or instead of engaging in a situation, you avoid it and you drop back. That's at the heart of this. And when I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think about snakes. Uh, snakes are a common fear for most of us. Now, I recently saw a friend whose uh, son was bringing a snake right into their house. And look what I call it, Dad, which for him is no big deal. But for most of us, we like, uh, put it put it back, put it away. And I remember uh, one of the things I've been concerned about is at our house, we've got lots of uh, different copperheads. Believe it or not, uh, we've killed about seven or eight of them in the time I've lived there. And uh, every time I go under my house to work on something, I am terrified that I'm going to run into a copperhead. And because I'm like, that's not just a snake, which I don't like snakes to begin with, but that's like a really bad snake. And I remember I was under there one day, and as I'm dragging myself, you know, because the crawl space is not very big, dragging myself by my belly, you know, I've got a knife. <laughs> not a good idea to take a gun under there, right? So I had a knife, and I had my tool belt to fix what I was going to go fix. And every time I dragged myself forward, I would hear this shh right afterward. So I dragged myself, and then shh. And I'm like, oh my goodness, there's a snake under the vapor barrier and it's moving toward me. And as I moved him another time and I heard it happen again, I whipped out my knife and I put so many holes in that vapor barrier, I'm going to need a contractor. He's all like, da, 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 and I just tore that thing up. And the reason I did it is out of fear. You, you know what the reality was? Here's the reality. The reality was is my tool belt was on a slight delay. So I would drag and then shoop, the tool belt would come after me. So I was actually stabbing my own vapor barrier under my house because of a tool belt. Fear does not have to be rational. Fear does not have to make sense. It's something at the core of us, again, that makes us want to flee or just freak out. Now, it can be that big or it can be as simple as just some anxiety. I think fear and anxiety are connected to a very similar part of who we are. I have anxiety when it comes to going to the drive-thru. Some of you know this. I can't stand it when I get to the drive-thru if I'm there with multiple people and I say, what do you want? And then the person on this side saying, will that complete your order? I'm like, no, wait a minute. And then they're saying, I'm not sure, let me look. And then they're saying, does that complete your order? And I'm going back and forth and back and forth. And now I'm in this in-between where they're wanting the order and they can't make up their mind. And that creates anxiety for me. In fact, when apps came out, I was like, praise God. I can say to my family, I'll even pull off the side of the road and go, here, order. And then after they order, then we'll proceed to the, the drive-thru. And I can say, mobile order for Larry. That's so much easier, isn't it? Can I help you? Yes, you can. Mobile order for Larry. And then I'm good. No anxious, no anxiety there. At the heart of all these things, though, is this angst or this fear. And with it has to do with, you know, either we feel ill-equipped, we're not prepared, or maybe there's something in our background that's shaping the way that we feel. You know, it wasn't any different for them. Look at verse 15 again. He says, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. One of the difficulties they were having, and I think then as well as today, is there's a big difference about having Christ as Lord and just being in church. There's a big difference. We're going to talk about that in a second. But we've seen this really uh, hit hard in the area of revitalization. So, you know, we want to help other churches experience the health and the growth that grace has experienced, where people are growing in their faith and people are sharing their faith and people are in God's word and they're building a community that's a healthy community. And when we've tried to do that, when we've engaged with other churches across the shore, we found that they don't want that. And, and what, what's at the heart of that, I believe, I really do, is they haven't set apart Christ as Lord. You know why? Because if Christ is Lord, 
You'll do what's ever necessary regardless of how you feel about it. But here's the reality. Our emotions drive us a lot of times in church, in church leadership and in situations. And we cannot be driven by fear. We've got to be driven by faith. And in this case, very clear, setting apart Christ as Lord. How did the early church navigate fear? They set apart Christ as Lord. I don't know if you know the history of Peter, you know, the apostle that wrote this book. But Peter, we're told by tradition, died for his faith. He died for his faith. How do we know that? Well, it's outside the Bible, but good historians have written about it. And one of the things that we know that's unique about Peter is he was made to watch his wife be crucified. And instead of yelling and freaking out about the situation, which is a pretty tense situation, Peter said, don't forget he's Lord. Don't forget. His concern for his family was to remain Christ as Lord. And it was his concern as well, because Peter knew what it was like to fail Christ because of fear. He did it. You're going to hear about it this week as you read the Easter story, how Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, is one of the apostles which will deny Christ three times. It's what he's known for. He's also restored three times, which is beautiful. But he knows how fear can change your reaction to certain people. That's what Peter knows. And his concern is that you would remain faithful and that you would see Christ as Lord. In fact, Peter had so made Christ Lord by that part of his life when he died, after he was made to watch his own wife be crucified, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. Crucify me upside down. That's the tradition that's handed down to us. And what allowed Peter and the early church leaders and the apostles to do that was their faith as Christ is Lord. Not just the faith that you and I see today, but he was Lord of every area of their life. The other thing that drives fear is we're not prepared. You need to be prepared to share your faith. Always be prepared, it says, to give an answer to everyone, everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. Being prepared means that you have the knowledge and you have the skills. The two are coming together. You've got the knowledge of what it means to share your faith, but you've also practiced and you have the skills. So knowledge and skills together. That's true of any area of life, especially the area of faith. You know, when I was a freshman trying to get on the soccer team, I remember um, I got this packet from the coach. Packet came in the mail. Hilarious. And it said to do this many miles a day, this many wind sprints, this many things. I'm like, yeah, right. I played some soccer in the backyard and played around and ran a little bit. But, but I didn't do what the coach had asked. And I'll never forget, we showed up to the first day of practice. You show up the first day, and he says, okay, hit the track. And, and he goes, go ahead and start running. When the first person hits about nine miles, I'll think about stopping you. And I was like, uh-oh. And people were not prepared. By the way, why did he use that number? Because the average soccer player will run eight to nine miles during a game. And so he was trying to get us conditioned to run a full game and to do everything we need to do. But we showed up, most of us, except for juniors and seniors who knew it was not a joke, unprepared. And because we showed up unprepared, we were getting sick, we couldn't complete it, we were having cramps. All those things were true. This is what happens when you don't prepare and you don't understand how to share your faith. So then when you're put in a situation, someone asks you to share your faith, you, you, you go into vapor lock. You don't know what to do. But people in this season need hope. And the hope carriers are you and I. You know, one of the things that um, 
and sharing faith um, can be um, not so good, and it can be good, is tracks. If you've never heard of a track, it's a little teeny thing like this, and you can hand it out to someone, and it has the gospel in it or some element of the good news. But here's the problem if we don't use tracks right. They become impersonal. They're not, they, in fact, they keep you and I from preparing properly if we're not careful. Because now we've just got this tool, here you go, and we're done. That's cold, it's detached, it's insensitive. Now, tracks used correctly would be like, hey, I, I see you're interested in faith. I know how to articulate my faith. Can I sit down and walk through this with you and see what you think? And the other part, I think, when you think about faith, not only preparing yourself and understanding that there's, there's preparedness, but also understand everyone around you is on a journey. You're on a spiritual journey, and they're on a spiritual journey. And I love that's why it says with respect and gentleness. So when I share my faith, I'm understanding this person's on a journey. They may be at a similar place. They may be at a very different place. And I need to listen, listen to what they're sharing and also build a relationship of value, not only wanting to be heard, but also wanting to hear them. So how do you prepare? Well, verse 15 in a nutshell tells us how to prepare. It says, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So the first part of that, when we boil that down, is just simply this. Surrender it. Surrender. Your story, as a believer, you must surrender it. And it becomes no longer your story, but it's now God's story. And when you start to understand that, then you begin to understand that there's this thing called the gospel. The good news. And that the good news is not about you, and it's not about me, but it's all about what Christ has done for his creation. And when you begin to understand that, you begin to see that you have to surrender every part of your story, the painful parts, the good parts, the not-so-good parts. In fact, when you look at this, there's three aspects to your story. I'm going to call them BC, CC, and AC, if that helps you. So BC, CC, and AC. BC, before Christ. There was a season in your life, or maybe it is right now for you, where you didn't have a full relationship with Jesus. And it's kind of before there was a major transformation that took place. And, and you, you get frustrated with life. In fact, you try to live life in a certain way, and it just doesn't quite work out. And then there is a place where you come to Christ. There's this moment, you can see it, where you say, look, I was trying to live this way. And this even happens for kids. I was trying to live this way, and then I came into an understanding of who Jesus is. And to the best of my ability, I put my hope and my belief and my trust in what he had done for me, that he had died for my sins, to forgive my sins, and that he rose from the dead three days later to have victory over, over sin and victory in my life. And when I look at that, I'm like, I believe that now. I have hope in that. I put all my trust in that. So that was BC, and then here's CC. I committed my life at that point. And then there's AC, after Christ. So after that decision... He still walks with me. He's still impacting my life. He's still changing me from day to day. And you can articulate those. And those are three things. You know, I'm going to share my testimony this week on Facebook for you. I'm going to put it out there. I want you to see how to share your testimony. And you can do it within a three to five minute span. And we're also going to be able to give you pieces of that. Now, if you've not come to faith, if you've not made that decision yet, you're still BC, let me tell you a simple way to understand how to come to faith. And when I, people get on me about this, but I believe in this. There's three dimensions also to how you come to faith. There's surrender, faith, and repentance. Those are kind of the, the churchy words we would use. But if you only surrender, you become legalistic. And you've probably been to a church like that. 
Or then there's just faith, which is easy believism. You've probably visited a church like that, where it's just believe, 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 but there's never real transformation. And then there's repentance, which is if you just go repent, 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 which means change the direction of your life and change your opinion about this particular thing, then salvation becomes work, works-based. The gospel becomes all about works. Correctly understood, all three of those dimensions are in how people come to faith. And I've boiled that down to what I call the ABCs. You have to admit with God your sin. You're very specific with him. Lord, here's the ways I've hurt you, hurt me, and hurt other people. That's called sin. And you need to admit that before God in a moment of confession. And it has to be real. After the admission of that, then you believe in what Christ has done. You believe in what he's done. Not what you've done. Not what the church is doing. But that he died for your sins specifically to cover over all this stuff. You know, and that he's paid for that. He paid for all that, which then makes a relationship with God possible. And then you commit your life to him. You commit the very care of your life, how you think, what you do to him. All three of those have the fullness of what the gospel is supposed to be. And then that way you're not legalistic. That way it's not easy believism. And that way it's not workspace. The other thing you got to do with your stories, you have to organize it. Okay, you can't just share it. <coughs> you can't just surrender it. You have to organize it. So the gospel itself was organized. When we look at the gospels, you know, there's four gospels in the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're organized. They're put together in a very specific way. If you look at Matthew, that's for people that are, you know, OCD. You know, he was an accountant. He's very organized and orderly in the way that he presents that. Mark is like the cliff notes for the Bible. It's like you reporters. I just want to know the facts. 16 chapters, boom, there they come. And they're very simple. Luke talked more about healing than anybody else that wrote about what Jesus did. And, and then John comes along and says, we've talked a lot about what Jesus did, but we've missed the point of talking about who Jesus is. And he focuses his gospel on who Jesus is. And he uses the most poetic and creative language. And when you look at those and you organize those, you begin to see, wow, they were that organized about talking about Jesus. In my life, in my story, I need to organize mine as well. And there's those three dynamics we talked about earlier. Before you came to know Christ, how you came to know Christ, and how you came, you'll see those elements of admitting, believing, and committing. And then after you came to know Christ. And in those three elements, that's what you're sharing with people. And listen, you cannot argue a testimony. It's just you sharing what Jesus has done in your life. And it's one of the best habits you can cultivate is to share that with gentleness and respect and out of a motive of love for everyone. To help you do that, we're giving you a, a worksheet. We're going to put that in the notes. We're going to put that in the chat area. We're going to try to get that out by email. And it'll help you to build your story, your testimony. And then once you build it, once you've put it together, three to five minute story, nothing real long, just three to five minutes, I want you to share it. I want you to share it, which is what the habit actually is. Now, here's the reality. You are a hope carrier. You carry the hope of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in your life. You do it uniquely based on the pain and the reality of the story that you're living. And you are the cure to the greatest infection. This is COVID-19 is not the greatest in, uh, infection. Okay, it's not. It's horrible. It's horrendous. And we need to continue to pray that it'll be gone soon. But it's not the greatest infection. The greatest infection is sin. Because sin impacts all of us 100%. COVID's going to hit a certain portion of us. Sin hits all of us. 
And it's a disease that needs to be eradicated. And you carry that hope in your very being. What if in this season where disease is reigning, your story eases pain? What if when people are walking through that, your particular story and the way that's put together eases the pain of someone else? What if in this season where depression is deflating people, where depression deflates, your story inflates? It inflates the hope into people's lives that no matter what the situation is, Christ is there and will never leave them. He's always there. What if in this season where resources are scarce, where people are hoarding and resources are scarce, your story shows God's supply? Because God is faithful in taking care of people through his church. What if in this season where those resources, what in, the, in this season where anxiety steals our emotional well-being and fear steals it, your story grants peace to each and every one who hears it. Listen, you are the cure. You are hope. Christ is the hope of the world, the hope of glory. And he has infused in your story his hope. And as it's shared, faith begins to grow and multiply. And that is what happened in the original church. Your testimony is powerful and no one, no one can argue a changed life. So here's what we want you to do. This week, I want you to share your story. Regardless of the cost, share your story. Regardless. You know, what if people say bad things about me on Facebook? Regardless of the cost. Well, what if people change their opinion of who I am? Regardless of the cost. What if it could cost me my job? Regardless of the cost. Come back to the original heart of the original church, and they were willing to share because this hope would transform each and every person that heard it. Look at what it says in verse 16. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, this doesn't mean that people can't speak ill of people that are just dumb in their faith and they're so aggressive in their faith and they're so obnoxious about their faith that they begin to hurt and to wound others. One of the things I've heard out there, I just want to address it very briefly, very quickly, is you know maybe this pandemic is something that is a curse and that we need to repent of it. Let me, let me just help you with some Bible in case you're really poor with Bible. And I see a lot of people, including pastors, they just have a poor understanding of the scripture and of the Bible. Every time, and God did that, God took certain things, brought plagues, it's true. But when he did it, there was always a prophetic word that preceded it. In other words, someone told him, this is going to happen unless you, and then fill in the blank. And then that specific group of people didn't, then that came. And even in the middle of that, God's hope was to restore faith. And many times the people of faith were excluded. Now look at the situation we're in. No one preceded this. No one said it was going to come and it was connected to God. That didn't happen. Number two, um, it's hitting everyone, including Christians. So don't say something that's not in line with Scripture. Here's what I do know about the situation. In the middle of this pain, in the middle of all this chaos, in the middle of all of this isolation, God wants to crash through it using your story of love and hope. And you and I need to take that story and we need to share it with other people regardless of the cost. So if you're willing to share it, I'm going to tell you exactly what that means. If you're willing to share it, that's what you're going to do to fill out the domino on the Connect card. I'll share. I'm in. Just let me know. We're going to be filling these out all this week. And uh, we're going to come up and finally glue them all there. Because I want you to see 
all the commitments that people have been making. We just haven't had time with the craziness, but we're going to do it this week so you can see the completed series of the habits. Now, when you say you share, what's that mean? You're going to write your story down. You're going to use the testimony builder. You're going to build it between three and five minutes. And then the end of that three to five minutes, you're going to share it. How are you going to share it? On Facebook, on Instagram, in a letter to a friend, pick up the phone to someone, and you're going to share it with people that you know need hope with gentleness and respect and build a relationship. I'm telling you, church, if we all share the hope that we have in Jesus this week on Facebook, that we do a Facebook Live post and we just say, hey, I was challenged this week to share my faith and just a real quick three to five minute, I want to, I want to share with you the hope that God's given me in the midst of all this through the person of Jesus. Here's what my life was like before I knew him. Here's how I came to know him. And here's how I'm navigating this situation right now. It could transform our communities. So share this week. And if you'll do that, click I'll share. We're going to send you multiple resources to equip you and to help you do that. One of the things that we're going to do, even today, is right after this video, there'll be a post video. Click on it. You'll click play. Jake Moss is going to give you an example of how to share your faith. And you'll have those elements before he knew Jesus, how he came, and then what life is like now. And you'll see a unique example of how that's done. Now, as we approach Easter week, let me just give you a couple things that I think will help you. Today, you can start a devotion with us. It's a new devotion. It's for Easter week. It'll build your faith during Easter week. I'm going to share that on Facebook. I'm going to share that through email. I'm going to share that every way that I can. And then Sunday, today, all the way through Saturday, share your story. Build your story and pick a moment to share that on Facebook or pick up the phone and call a friend, write it down, send and share your story. It will transform people's lives. Then on Thursday, you and I are going to share communion together. So what I need you to do is get, out, get some grape juice and get some bread. That's all you need. You know, if you don't even want to go out, I know certain grocery stores are delivering or talk to someone that can deliver it to you because we're going to get those and we're going to share at an exact same time communion together. And I'm going to put that on Facebook as a part of our Monday Thursday service. I'm also going to get that out to you by email. But we're going to all share in our homes communion at the same time when Jesus would have shared it with his disciples. That's on Thursday. Friday, I'm going to ask you to prayer walk your community, to walk through your communities and to pray for people that don't have a relationship with Jesus or that are struggling or that are hurting. And that's what I ask you to do on Friday, which is Good Friday. And then Saturday, I'm going to ask you to sit down and have, and have dinner with your family, dinner with your family, and have a family conversation about what does Easter mean to them? What's the Easter story mean to them? What does it mean that Christ died, he was buried, and he came back from the dead three days later? And then we're going to celebrate Easter in some unique ways with extended worship online next week. And so it's going to be good, and you're going to get a unique message from me. Let me pray for you. And then after I'm done praying, make sure you click play. And when you click play, remember, you're going to get an example of Jake's story, his testimony, to help you build your story. And when you do it, my friend, when you do it, lives will be transformed because you will carry the hope of who Jesus is into a world that's desperate to hear him right now. I want to pray for you and your story and then watch Jake and his story. Let's pray. Father, thank you for each and every person watching. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for the things they've been through. God, for those that have a living relationship with Jesus, I thank you for their story and how it's about to impact thousands of people across our peninsula, even further, that need the hope that they carry. 
God, if someone's listening and they don't yet know Jesus, I pray that they'll get real with their sin and admit it to you. That they'll put all of their hope and their belief in what Christ has done when he died for them on the cross. That he paid and atoned for their sins. That he made a full and complete payment for their sins. And then so that they might have hope, he was raised three, dead, three days later from the dead to have victory in our lives. And he's alive today, God. We thank you for that. And that they would commit their lives to you fully to live for you and not for themselves anymore. God, we thank you for how you're going to shape new testimonies, how you're going to shape current testimonies, and how lives will be transformed this week because of your story infused into each one of us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Thanks. Watch Jake's story, and I can't wait to see yours on Facebook this week.